You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Carrie Diamond, and you're listening to Radio Cherry Bomb. Each week, we talk to the most interesting women in the world of food and bring the pages of Cherry Bomb magazine to life. Thank you to our sponsor, Emmy, the maker of delicious traditional cheeses from Switzerland, for supporting this season of our podcast. If you love beautiful Swiss cheeses, look for Emmy's premier Kaltbach label. Cheeses such as Emmentaler, Gruyere, and Le Cremeux aged in the 22-million-year-old Kaltbach Cave for superior flavor, unlike anywhere else in the world. A few housekeeping matters. Our Jubilee Conference is taking place Saturday, April 14th in Manhattan, and tickets are on sale right now. We have so many exciting speakers joining us, including Nigella Lawson, Chef Ruth Rogers of the River Cafe in London, Chef Mashama Bailey of the Gray in Savannah, and authors Ruth Reichel and Samin Nasrat. This is going to be our biggest and our best jubilee ever, so don't miss it. Who's on today's show? In a little while, we'll be talking with Mark Goldman, the founder of Formaticum Cheese Papers. He's going to talk to us about properly storing cheese. We'll learn something practical today. Our first guest, though, is Cynthia Wong, the executive pastry chef of Butcher NB in Charleston, South Carolina. Cynthia is a 2018 James Beard semifinalist, and for good reasons— She lives and breathes pastry and baked goods and turns out treats that are as delicious as they are creative. I met Cynthia last year on tour for the Cherry Bomb Cookbook. Our friends from the F&B Radio podcast and Monarch Wine Merchants threw us the nicest book party in Charleston, and Cynthia made these Cherry Bomb ice cream desserts that looked like giant glossy cherries. I was back in Charleston last weekend for the Charleston Wine and Food Festival and ran into Cynthia at the big Brunch Squad event on Saturday morning. She made her famous ice cream drumsticks for the brunch. She takes cornflake-flavored ice cream, wraps it around a slim chocolate-covered cookie that serves as the chicken bone, and then she coats the whole thing in crushed cornflakes. Our friends at FMB Radio let me use their new headquarters slash bar slash podcast studio to record this interview with Cynthia. If you visit Charleston, stop by FNB HQ for a drink. The F&B team sat in as guest hosts, so those other voices you're about to hear belong to Lindsay Collins, Nikki Fairman, and Philip Michael Cohen. Thanks to them for their hospitality. Cynthia Wong, welcome to Radio Cherry Bomb. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I have to be honest, I didn't know who you are until we met in Charleston Mm -hmm. in December when we did our uh, book party down here that was thrown by... F&B Radio and uh, Monarch Wine Merchants. It was us. We were there. It was, it was, it was the best day of my life. It was really fun. <laughs> best day of my life. Highlight of my life. Um, easy, right? <laughs> totally. It was so much better than the day that my children were born. So, so much better. better. <laughs> like, so much more meaningful and, like, really feeling like things were about to happen. Yeah, really. Yeah. Yeah, very much. <laughs> so I learned who you were because 
Lindsay and Nikki just kept yelling your name all the time. <laughs> we <laughs> never yeah. shut up about you. We do. We just we're always like, Wongster! Wongster! So I was like, who is this Cynthia Wong? And then magically you appeared and you made us the most amazing treat for the book launch. Uh, it was this giant edible pastry cherry with an edible pit. And what, what the heck was that magical Tell thing? Tell about it. Oh, uh, it, <laughs> it was a chocolate ice cream bomb in the shape of a cherry with a Whopper pit. Not the burger, uh, mind uh, you. The malt the, and milk. The malt and milk ball. <laughs> My fave. Um, and a shiny cherry red glaze and a little chocolate stone. The shiny glaze killed me. Oh my God. And the shape was so perfect. We were all dying. Like we knew how brilliant you were, but that was, we were, I was throwing up. The fact that it stood up on its own was, I think the most special thing to me because you also make those amazing, um, the drumsticks that are are rolled in cornflakes. Did you have one? A drumstick. (laughs) (laughs) So the cherry was like your second sort of, Iteration of these amazing formed ice cream treats. Life-changing. Can you tell us about the drumstick? Uh, The drumstick is an ice cream bar that's made out of waffle ice cream that looks like a chicken drumstick, like a fried chicken drumstick. And it has a Cadbury finger in there to act as the bone. I just... It's got a bone. Like, who thinks of that? It's got a bone. You're amazing. So I'm guessing that's why you have been nominated for a James Beard Award. Oh my God, congratulations. Thank you. I mean, maybe so. Maybe maybe they like that kind of uh, stoner sense of humor, and that's what yeah. they're gonna they're gonna go for. They're gonna <laughs> abandon all uh, all integrity and just go for the jokes. I love it. Like <laughs> I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> this would this would be a good year for them to do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. totally. No, wow. but they, they actually they have a new. There's a, a woman who's the new head of the James Beard uh, organization, mm-hmm. and I did have coffee with her, and she's amazing, and I think mm-hmm. she's gonna bring some incredible changes to the organization. Uh, however, as I pointed out, that that's only the second sort of big thing that happened to you this year. You also won an F&B Radio Award. That Thank was, you. That was so much better than anything else. Um, I think the only thing that would beat it is if someone gave me uh, a bag of uh, $500,000 and like a hug. That might Aww. maybe kind of edge it out a little bit, but it depends on what kind of hug it was. Like, no. Oh my God, it does. We can give you a hug, but I don't. You're the F&B best. You're the F&B you know, knick knack, patty whack, give a wong a bone. That's all, I do. That's all I have to say about all right. that. That's what everybody says. We do have some serious questions. Okay. Oh, yeah. um, are you from Charleston? Um, you know, I'm not from Charleston. I was born here and I loped Unlike here. Unlike Phil, who was born in Connecticut, as we found out. In Blaster. Oh, what? I, I mean, I had to be born somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was born here and I loped here. Uh, and so I guess there's some kind of weird cosmic pull. And so I finally live here now. But. I kind of grew up in Mobile, Alabama, which is the of the South. Oh, yeah. I've driven through. The homes are so beautiful there. Like all those big old homes. I've been to yeah, Mobile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're Asian and you grow up there in the 80s, it's, it's uh, oh, okay. a, little less, a little less fun. Yeah. How did you get into food? You know, I just kind of fell into it. I know that's what a lot of people say, but I literally just kind of fell into it. It mm-hmm. just was what I liked and what I loved. And... I came from a medical family, and you were supposed to either be a doctor or a lawyer. 
And I guess it was a really kind of weird way of rebelling and saying, I'm going to make cookies, Dad. <laughs> you know? And so that's what I did. Did you bake as a kid? I did bake as a kid. That was kind of how my mom bribed me into behaving because I was a real shit-ass little kid. Yeah. Um, and now I have a son who is a lot like me, and I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> I got to sit down and write that letter of apology to my mom because I'm about to just snap. Yeah. Um, Wait, is, it, is it the older one or the little one? Buck. Buck, Buck of course. Buck the animal. Buck wild. Yeah. I'm going to call him Buck wild. He is Buck Wild. I think that's one of the reasons I never had kids because my mother was always like, I hope you have a kid just like you. <laughs> just like you. And, just and I was awful. Listen, I was like an awful jerk. teenager. So yeah, I wouldn't yeah. wish that on myself. So yeah. that's okay. why I have a cat. You won't give her the satisfaction. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry, mom. Mom listens to the show sometimes. Sorry. Um, but you have two kids. I have two the kids. The other kid is better. Uh, I have, you know, I think the older one is just a little more wily. Like he's really sweet. Sure, that sweetness is completely real. I think it's just a way to get what you want. What? Um, uh, but yeah, he looks like my husband and he acts like my husband. And the younger one looks like me and acts like me. And it's kind of freaky what genetics do, especially since my husband's a big white guy. So it's hard to have a little Asian kid that looks like a big white guy, but he does. <laughs> And my husband's name is John David. In my husband's family, they call the one that looks like him the John Dajian. The John Dajian. Oh, so, the John Dajian. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Awesome. Good times at the Wong household. It. Yes. Um, <laughs> so what was your first professional cooking gig? Uh, I was an overnight baker at a place called Lulu in San Francisco and I had no idea what in the fuck I was doing. And I was like, please, 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 give me a chance, give me a chance, please, please, please. And they were like, ha, 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 you're going to work overnight. Figure it out. So it kind of worked out because I didn't know what I was doing and nobody wants to work overnight. And uh, after about a year, I kind of started figuring out what I was doing. And I was like, hey, you know, I think I really like this. When did you really start to get your groove and sort of Cynthia Wong signatures start um, emerging? Probably after I left Cakes and Nail in Atlanta and I started working at um, Empire State South with Hugh Atchison and Ryan Smith. And Ryan was just an incredible leader and wanted you to have fun. And there's just this still to this day, this huge sense of joy in his food. Um, and I just picked up on that and I loved it. And it, was, it was a really liberating place to be. And then what lured you back here? Um, to Charleston? Mm-hmm. Uh, just my husband's job. And <laughs> to this room right oh, here. This room. Yeah. Yeah. Right uh, it was well, probably the award. My three favorite people to snuggle up to are here. I love you so much. I love you so much. You're the best. Um, but uh, my husband got a job here and I was like, okay, yeah, the beach. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's, let's go live by the beach. So, yeah. Do you ever see the beach that much? Do you, do you really get to go? I do. That's nice. I yeah. love that. Good. Good job. I do. I sometimes when I when I can finish my shit early, I take the kids to the beach after school because I think that's a pretty awesome childhood to be like, yeah, mommy's uh, take us to the beach after you're school, a good mom. and then yell at us the entire way <laughs> the home <laughs> in the car. That's <laughs> <So laughs> balance. That's balance. Balance, baby. Joy and humiliation is all kind of the same thing. So, uh, how did you wind up at, at Butcher and the Bee? Um, it was just this. Uh, the, the baking rooms are beautiful. We have huge windows. We have a lot of nice equipment, and it was a chance to kind of do a sort of baking that I hadn't done before. I was doing a lot of plated desserts in restaurants and kind of serious plated desserts and it was a chance to do bakery items, you know, do heavy breakfast items and have more fun and have a lot of creative control. Tell us a few of the other awesome things you're known for. 
Um, I make a cookie called the fatty cake. Yes. Which, yes. Uh, if you Google the words fatty cake, it's like a don't do that. Yeah, don't don't do that. In a sense, do that it's, by yourself. I don't know what happened first, and then I found out. I was like, okay, maybe we should change the name. It's <laughs> so okay. <laughs> um, uh, those. Let's see. I make a chocolate. Wait, wait. You have to tell us what's oh. in the fatty cake. Oh, okay. Because we're not going to Google it. Oh, so you okay. have to oh, tell oh, that's us. That's right. I told you not to do that. Cynthia. It's a soft ginger cookie with a mascarpone filling. Um, so and good. it's just so it's tastes, a sandwich. It's a sandwich mm-hmm. cookie, and it's kind of just very childhood nostalgic. Uh, wow, it's what dreams are made of. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> there, those are my favorite. And I think it's. I, I love the ice cream. The that's like a new thing for you, right? The like, ice cream treats. Yeah, yeah. But I've always been really, really obsessed with ice cream treats. I just haven't had an outlet for them. But um, are they inspired by the drumstick? Like that version, yes. where you go to the ice cream truck and you get like them in weird shapes. And yes, absolutely. I try to roll as many jokes into one food item as possible. <laughs> love it. And like puns and like secret hidden kind of meanings just for or whatever. You jokes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Tell us a few more. Um. About the drumstick or just food in general? Just just stuff you're doing, you're known for. Um, I have a Choco Taco yes! that I made, I made with Kelly Fields at an event. Um, we were cooking at the Versace Mansion last year, no, and it weren't. was really fun. And I was with these really, really serious, serious, serious chefs, and I was like, I feel like a dork. Because <laughs> I always feel like a dork around like these really, you know, these people I revere. And I can't do tweezer, twee, really beautiful things. I just, I'm not that person, so I just try to do something really fun. So we came up with the Chaka Taco together, and it's got, <laughs> it's got a yuzu coconut sherbet in it, and um, latik on the outside, and chocolate Wait, latik dip. Latik? On, what's latik? Uh, you get coconut milk, and you cook it until it breaks, and you keep cooking it, and then it looks like ground beef, uh, which is kind of freaky, and you cook it some more, and those solids fry themselves in the coconut oil, and what? you've got like this crispy, dark, dark, dark coconut, like, like coconut butter crispy crumbly situation Yum. that's what i love about your stuff it is so like from the from a distance it's so fun and playful but when you really get into it it's totally serious oh thank you it is it's very thought you think of everything you think of how people are going to hold it how they're going to eat it what they're going to enjoy and when how they're going to finish off thanks well, there's a lot of technique yes. to the, the things I've seen. Well, thank you. And I just want to throw it out. Cynthia Wong made me a, a croquembouche for my wedding. Do you guys know that? Can we talk about that? In July, <laughs> in Charleston, no fear. No fear. French, now, French woman yelled amazing. at me and said, go fuck yourself. There was a lot of fear, actually. All... You just didn't see it. It was perfect. And, oh, it, ch- and it, it made oh, everybody's lives better. Because it's awesome. humid here in July. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I got married on 3rd of July. Yeah, what'd your hair look like? In... Huge. Wow. Huge baby bitch. Wow. You you maybe shouldn't. She looked amazing. You maybe shouldn't nice. Google fatty cake, but you can. But you Google can. Nikki yes. and yes. see what Nikki's Absolutely. hair looks like. Abs- anytime you want. Nikki but got it, married on the third of July because she wanted to take advantage of the fireworks that would happen. On I was, did. Did fun. I? And and I did threaten everyone. I said I was going to sing the national anthem like Whitney Houston <laughs> style. <laughs> and and I, I I did show restraint. I did. I did. Nice. I didn't. I sang it out of my hotel room. I did. I did. That's on me. Nice. But either way, you're a genius, and well, it changed you. everyone's lives, and it was just beautiful and tall and like but you think of everything oh, thank and you. it's fun but then like Phil said there's so much technique in it god you're good oh gosh god, so you. tell us about the croquembouche how did you um, assemble that baby and all that humidity I got uh, this is gonna sound so you're gonna just laugh about it I, um, it I went to the Harris Teeter and I got a poster board and I turned into a cone <laughs> and I glued a bunch of uh, cream puffs together on it and I pulled the cone out 
It is. The glued with sugar, and then some had sprinkles, and then he did the whole thing. It was perfect. And then people attacked it like a zombie apocalypse. Nice. That's how a wedding's supposed to go. There you go. Is that we, my husband and I, we like pulled one off and we ate it. It was wonderful. And then everybody was like, Arr! and it was perfect. That's amazing. I also, I just had the pleasure of going to your house for a Sunday dinner. And she was like, she whipped up a steam pudding, which I had never had before. And clotted cream. And she was like, oh, it's just clotted cream. Like, I didn't even know. It, it, you're always introducing me to new things that I feel like I should know what they are, but I don't. But the British influence in you, you lived in, in London for a while, oh, right? We lived in London for two years. And it was like um, a fantasy wrapped inside a dream. I was being mm. swallowed by like, I don't know, another fantasy. I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. It was just... Were you a kid or as an adult? As an adult. We, uh, we had our first baby and we moved there when he was six weeks old. And I didn't work for two years. I just was with my first kid in London. And it was just, it was incredible. It was just fantastic. And, you know, my husband had a serious job there, but the lifestyle there is a little different. And so he didn't work, you know, crazy hours. And we'd get home and walk around together and go to the pub with the family and the dog. And the dog would lie by the fire in the pub. And it was just amazing. And I, I loved British food. I loved the old, old cooking of steaming puddings and putting suet and things. And then I loved... All the new things they were doing, where there was so much joy to be free of the restraint of you know overboiled vegetables and all the meats got to be roasted. It was just it was incredible. And how did some of those influences? How do they show up in your stuff now? Uh, you know, I and have you're a putting s- the Cadbury finger in the uh... Cadbury fingers. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Uh, you know, get a waitress at Christmas time and get the tin of Cadbury fingers, and it was the first. Uh, yeah, I tried to be like really, I was kind of sanctimonious, I guess, about feeding my first child. So I know he's not going to have any sugar and blah, 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 blah. But we had Cadbury Fingers um, after he turned one because his birthday is in November and we had a little purple tin. And he would say, I want the purple, I want the purple. Aww. Or say something that I, that I knew he was saying, I wanted the purple. And then we'd pop the tin open and he'd get a little finger out. Aww. And so there's just a lot of that in, in the food. You know, there's a lot of memories and a lot of uh, feelings. And one of the chefs I worked for said, uh, food is stories, and if you don't have any stories, your food is going to be a little hollow. And I, I really, really believe that, that, um, you know, there are a lot of kids who, who get really serious about being a chef, and they, they get out of high school, and they go to culinary school, and they get out of culinary school, and they start working and working and working and working and working. There's not any stories there. Not to say that they're not badass chefs, but, like, you know, we go around and get banged up a little bit and, and then make some food, and, and there's some feelings and some, some real sentiment about life and things behind it. And you specifically talked about the dairy, that they have different dairies in London. dairy in London. (laughs) Oh, my God. What's so different about it? It's just, they just love it. There's this unbridled love for dairy without guilt of like, oh, we must have the fat-free clotted cream, which, you know, you know, why? No, No. eat the cream. Single cream, double cream, half single, Mm. you know, double-double, whatever, clotted cream. Um, uh, All that stuff. And then the eggs and the butter and all the different grades of butter and... But even if you work closely with farmers down here, you can't get the same kind of thing? I just think the climate's a little different, you know? It's just it's all the delicious, buttery dairy products favor that kind of cold, foggy climate. Mm. Mm. Um, mm. So, yeah. Do you work with a lot of farmers? I try to. Uh, we get a lot of things from Ambrose. Right now we're getting some gorgeous spinach from them. I mean, gorgeous, gorgeous spinach, which I kind of have this thing against baby spinach, and it's all you can find in the stores these days is baby spinach, which is basically made out of tissue. Um, Slimy tissue. What do you What are you Slimy doing tissue. with the spinach? Uh, we are putting it in a puff pastry with mm. chestnut mushrooms from uh, City Roots out of Colombia, with a little bit of bechamel and some Parmigiano Reggiano, and it's like this little savory puff because I have a very salty palate, and when I get up in the morning, I want a, a savory, salty pastry. What's a chestnut mushroom? It's this gorgeous 
brown, brown mushroom. And when you saute them, they smell a little bit like feet. But then when you eat them, they are just so rich and earthy and woodsy and delicious. And they don't taste like feet, which That's is, lovely. you know, a, a bonus. bonus. Yeah. I'm into that. That's good. So let's talk about the Charleston food scene because mm. I come I come down here a lot now. I don't know how many times mm-hmm. I've been to Charleston, but every time I come down here, I love it more and more. Mm-hmm. And all of you, the people in the, the Charleston scene are just awesome. What is it about this place? Um, you know, I think that when you go to places where there's a lot of tradition, a lot of history, you have some of that all the time, and it's great to celebrate that, but you also have people who want to turn away from that and do something new and exciting and, and the feeling of being liberated from tradition and being hidebound by, oh, we must do this with the grits and, oh, we must do that to the pork and, oh, we have to use sorghum, we can't use these other things. Um, You know, I think people want to use those ingredients but play with them in a way that's really exciting. Um, My husband and I met in Barcelona and when we were in Barcelona, it was just when molecular cuisine was starting to take off and it was the same thing of just being like, let's explode, let's do this really like, let's not make, you know, butifara, let's let's go do this, it's crazy and all this other stuff and, and I think there's a little bit of that here, too, and hopefully that, that will continue. What were you doing in Barcelona? Uh, I was just fucking around. <laughs> oh, yes. I went to, uh, after I baked bread, I was like, you know, I want to do a little bit more than this, and I think that baking bread is not going to be enough for me. So I went to culinary school in France, got some money together. Which one? Uh, I went to, uh, what's it called? La Notre, outside of Paris. And didn't really want to go back and be a grown-up and work really hard. So I got some money together and thought I wanted to go to Barcelona. So I did. And sat next to my husband in a free Spanish class in Barcelona. And what? Wow. It's amazing. I what? was just like, who, who is this guy? Because he wouldn't stop talking to me in class started. He was like, uh, hola, me llamo John David. Como estas? De donde eres tú? And I was like, um, who are you? John de Estalabano. Yeah. <laughs> but he was really funny, and he knew where all the food was. And that was that's kind of the that's ticket hot. for me. It's like, feed me, make me laugh. We're, we're good. Like, Let's do this. And, and then you guys are such the power couple too, because John David works now for grassroots and he does a million other things. What's but grassroots? It's a wine distribution company that brings in some of the best, best like, grower champagne, small small batch producers. A lot of their stuff is at F and B headquarters. You can drink it. Um, but he he's such a cool guy in that sense, and is quite a good chef on his own. So when, oh, he's when you amazing. go to the dinner at the, yeah. the, the Harmon Wong House, it's really it's like the full the full gamut of experiences. It's Everybody's dying to hang out here. We are F and B Radio's brand new headquarters, and uh, they have a big sign on the door that says "Private Event." We are closed. Yet that has not stopped about twenty them. people in not the past twenty minutes from banging on the door. Um, so you sound like you've had a really great life and done all these fun international been, things. Oh, Jesus, I've been really lucky. Yeah, but but you've really put roots down in Charleston. Mm-hmm. Do you see the day when you're going to take the kids and the hubby and I don't know, go move? It would have to be something really extraordinary, I think, because, well, we just bought and renovated a house, so that kind of is a pretty good anchor for a while. (laughs) Um, But also, you know, I love this weather. Like, I only wear socks at work, um, and we go to the beach, and we have a really good life here, and it's beautiful, and I think it's just, things are just beginning to happen. I'm really looking forward to the day when the food and beverage scene is is really, 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 truly big and expanded, and there's room for everyone's voices. It's going to be great. So tell us a few things uh, that you are super obsessed with right now. I love lard so much. Oh, you it's uh, borderline problematic. I love lard so very, very much. I like rendering it at my house. I just like watching the fat melt into more fat. Um, and then I like the cracklings that are left afterwards. And then I like making pie crust with lard. 
Um, I like frying things in lard. Uh, I like the different stages of lard where you... you <laughs> See, this is a little bit of a problem. It's like, okay, lard nerd. Um, I like the, the, lard, you know, lard, the really lard. pure pure... <laughs> I have the really, really pure pure lily white lard that you, you siphon off when you're first rendering it. And then I like the really dark kind of toasty lard at the end where you like saute your kale with that and it like, coats the inside of your mouth. I just love lard. I love lard. Uh, that was a, that was a poem, Cynthia. Th- that that I I don't think I've heard ever heard anybody <laughs> talk that much about lard. Uh, so t- a few other things. What else? Um, I love rhubarb, and mm. it's not native to here, and it feels a little bit naughty when I use it because you know I do really believe in local and regional products, but I also just want some hot pink ass hot like just hot house fuchsia rhubarb. And what are you doing with that rhubarb? Uh, right now we have rhubarb sorbet, and it's just like mm. frozen fruit, foamy kisses from a unicorn in your mouth. <laughs> it, it's just jammy and ripe and delicious. Um, and then we are, tonight for dinner tonight, we're doing a tahini bakewell tart. Again, here's the England thing. A tahini bakewell tart with rhubarb jam in the bottom. A tahini bakewell? Bakewell tart. tart. What is that? It's a frangipan tart, essentially. That's what they call bake. Uh, French pan tarts are mm. baked well. Uh, is, are you going to gift the world with a Cynthia Wong cookbook one day? Because I'm just oh, sitting here thinking I would love that. to. I really would. I would people can it. see how warped and lard-filled this, this worldview mm. is. Well, have, you done, have you come to New York and done the rounds? And I have not. Met, oh, we can... Oh, we do we in can, it, girl. Oh, yeah. You, you come up with it. us. Let's do it. Will you put Let's a picture it. of you holding your F and Best Award on the cover? Is that too much? Is that okay? No, I mean, obviously. Obviously. But people like you, in all seriousness, should have a cookbook. I feel oh, like they you. just give cookbooks to anybody these days. Like, But I want to read yours. You know. I want to read <laughs> your cookbook's amazing. What are you talking about? But I feel like people like Cynthia Wong should have a cookbook. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You we certainly have the stories to tell. Yeah. And you have something to say and stuff to back it up with. Thanks. Yeah. So we're going to work on that. Thanks. All right. Uh, what else did I want to ask you? Oh, speaking of cookbooks, mm. like what's on your table? Um, what what do you see. just love? Uh, I can't stop. And here again, the England thing You don't have to say your favorite, just some recent ones that you're uh, I, taking. My, really right now, though, the Hawksmoor at home book um, because it's got that English pastry section. Like I love the Manchester tart. I love it so much. I do my own version. It's uh, Traditionally, it's, it's a shortbread crust with jam on the bottom. And then uh, a custard top and then coconut on top. But I do mine with a jam on the bottom and then the custard and then I brulee the top. Mm. Um, and just the whole English thing of like fruit and custard and all that. And then the meat. Um, my husband kind of takes over the cooking at home because he is such an amazing cook. But I try to cook things on my own as well, the things that he would do. Um, and he gets really impatient with me on the grill. He's like, that's not how you like the grill. <laughs> I'm like... <laughs> Why? Why not? He's like, you're going to melt the the charcoal starter. (laughs) Okay, hon. Okay, okay. So I'm reading books like that to try to give myself an edge up in the household. And any signature Cynthia Wong tricks you can share with the home bakers out there? Um, Put butter crunch on everything. Yeah. Butter toffee is the way to go. If you feel like you're lacking something, you're probably lacking butter toffee. And you, I'm guessing you make your own. I make my own. Um, it's basically a caramel. You cook it really hard, and then you throw a baking soda in the end, and then you throw it on a baking sheet, and you crunch it up. That's oh, I want. Um, I'm going to do that. I put it on I, everything. I've always wondered how you make that because I knew it started with a caramel, but the end product is so perfect. Is it also called seafoam candy? Sometimes seafoam is a little different. Okay, yeah, seafoam. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. What's seafoam candy? Thing. I think it's got. I think. I think. I think it's got gelatin in it, so it like 
puffs. When it puffs, it sets, sets, sets like super High airy. Puffy. Okay, okay. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah. Nice. I learned so many things on this She's episode of Radio of Cherry Bomb. God, you're a genius. <laughs> <laughs> we have to have Cynthia. Wong is a genius. Oh, that's yes. what it was. Cynthia Wong is a genius. Yes. Oh, good Lord. That's how I first <laughs> learned about you because <laughs> I was with <laughs> these two and they were singing this and I'm like, who is Cynthia that's Wong? That's right, because you asked us yesterday, you were like, what What do you say to her when she walks in? I was like, I don't remember, but it's that. Oh, it's that. It's we that. just talk we just about scream how about what a genius. Because you are a genius. How did y'all, be- y'all, how did y'all become friends? How? Uh, Milani oh, Durant. Yes, Milani Durant. Oh, uh, no, you were talking, I'm sorry. Do you want to talk about genius? Oh, yeah, she really is. Melania Durant, like, just quiet. Just... An American treasure. She has a food truck called Scram. She was also at the Cherry Bomb Party. She and was. she's one of our favorites. She was the pastry chef at Fig when we all worked there. And then when she left, she that's her mentor. Cynthia Wong is Melani's mentor. But she, she says that, but it's, it's, we, it's an exchange. Well, it they, really is. they both no, say that the other just, one is the mentor. So she, I don't really she's know. so amazing. Symbiotic. Like, she has these, like, uh, beautiful, borderline robotic, hand skills it's just like what are you doing to, to, to just throw us a little shout out to her we were she brought a delivery and Gabrielle Hamilton was in the studio and oh, she yes. said I said do you want some try some scram and she was like I'm really not hungry and then she picked up the, the milk bun with, with the, the buttermilk butter yes. and she was like oh actually I do want this she was like and this is the most perfect and milk she bun ate and it with joy absolutely and it should be said that the milk bun is very much Milani's like signature thing um, there's there's some people in town who want to do a version of it, but it, it's hers. And you know who you are. It's delicious. <laughs> you know who you are. I, I'm just saying, I'm not going to you know, start turf war or anything, but it was perfect. Yes. In fact, uh, Gabrielle mentioned that her buttermilk custard that she was doing for tonight was not as good, and she was going to leave to go Ooh. work on it. That's a, her <laughs> so there you go, Melanie words. Durant. That's what she said. Yeah, Melanie Durant. Geniuses. Genius. But, but that's, that's how we, how we know each other. Each other. Mm-hmm. So everybody who's listening now has to check out the FMB radio podcast because oh. they did just interview Gabrielle Hamilton. She Whoa. was sitting... <gasps> Right here, right where I'm sitting. Where oh my sitting. god! <laughs> I'm never gonna wash these jeans. <laughs> uh, but they're gonna have a fantastic interview with Gabrielle. Maybe we can like time them these oh, two interviews together. That'd be so yes, uh, we'd love yeah, that. it's like Battle of the Network Stars. Oh remember? My god. You might, you guys might. Oh my god! I remember I that. Tell you remember, Do you remember no. that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. getting all the podcast people together. Yes. And, yeah. Why yeah. can't we just all be together? Because I have to go home today. Can't you just come back? I know. It's gonna be cold. So why did I? We could paint a little mural right up there. Could say Cherry Bomb Headquarters too, one on each side. Yeah, that could be a thing. It would be perfect. Like more maybe people next, come in. <laughs> maybe next winter I'll just move down here. Hey, perfect. you know what? The door's always open. You'd say, okay. I winter in Charleston. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quiet. So I winter in Charleston. I'm no, somewhere yeah. in New York. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. We'll do, an, we'll do a switcheroni. Tinderoni. Yeah. Yes. For sure. Um, my guest host, would you like to ask any final questions to our guest? Oh my God. Will you marry me, Cynthia? Do you love me as much as I love you? Hey, that was my When question. can we hang out? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, 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 and always, Phil, always. Oh, well, Cynthia Wong, you are awesome. Thank you. And I really do want to see a Cynthia Wong cookbook one day. Good luck with the beards. Thank you. And uh, you're the bomb. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Bye. All right, everybody, we'll be right back after this word from our sponsor, Emmy. It's time for a quick cheese lesson from our friends at Emmy, the makers of traditional, authentic, delicious cheeses from Switzerland. Le Cremeau is a new, luxurious cheese from the Kalt Bach Cave. Sweet and unassuming at first, this semi-firm cheese keeps you coming back as its flavors and texture develop. Emmy's Kalt Bach Le Cremeau is aged in their 22-million-year-old natural sandstone cave. Whether you are snacking or party planning, 
Serve your Kaltbach Le Cremeux with blackberries, pineapple, or honey, and pair it with iced green tea or a bright Chardonnay, Chenin Blanc, or Riesling. Look for the red and blue Emmy logo at your favorite local grocer. Hey, Bomb Squad. Visit the Cherry Bomb online shop for all things Bomb Squad. We've got signed copies of the Cherry Bomb Cookbook, which features more than 100 recipes from 100 of the coolest women in food. Need a great gift? How about a gift subscription to Cherry Bomb Magazine? And we've got those collabs, like our Headley and Bennett apron. Visit cherrybomb.com for more. Welcome back to Radio Cherry Bomb. Next, we're going to talk about something practical, how to store cheese. Our sponsor, Emmy Cheeses from Switzerland, sent us the nicest cheese selection, and I decided it was time to be a grown-up and learn how to properly store cheese. So I got in touch with Mark Goldman, who is an expert on the subject, and asked if he'd be on today's show. Mark is the founder of Formaticum Cheese Papers, and we have him on the line right now. Hi, Mark. Hello. Welcome to Radio Cherry Bomb. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, Mark, I am your worst nightmare. I hate to admit that. I've stored cheese in plastic containers, in wax paper, maybe foil a few times. I know that's terrible. Um, And as a result, I've just never felt like I was treating the cheese with the respect that it deserved. I'd wind up with cheese that smelled kind of ammonia-y or got moldy, and um, I'm bearing my soul to you. So how how can you help me? (laughs) Well, you know, I'm not the one that you should feel... uh that you're bearing your soul to. It's more, you know, honoring the cheesemaker and all the hard work that they put into it and ensuring that you get to taste the products as they intend. So if you spend a lot of money on a cheese and you bring it home and you wrap it up in tinfoil or parchment paper or something that is not designed for the purpose, then you're just sadly not eating what it is that you actually bought, you know, after a few days in your fridge, it becomes something entirely new. Uh, the texture will change and the flavor will, yeah, not be what you paid all that money for. So it's, <laughs> it's only, your, only have yourself to blame. <laughs> I know. I know. So cheese is, tell us a little bit about cheese. It is a living, breathing object, right? Yeah. Cheese is definitely a living, breathing food as a bunch of organisms and bacteria convert, you know, uh, milk into, you know, a beautiful delicacy. Uh, but there's a little bit of a myth that cheese is, you know, because it's aged and sometimes for a very long period of time, people have this misconception that the cheese that they bring home can be aged or last a lot longer. But once the wheel is cut open, you know, cheese becomes a highly perishable product. So in its full form for some types of harder cheeses, they are shelf-stable and can last a long time, stored and aging. But once that wheel is broken open, the uh, there's a clock that starts ticking, and that's, you know, on the shelf life of the cheese, on the life of the cheese. So there are things that you can do to make sure you're preserving that small piece of cheese that you've brought home and uh, using proper storage materials is the first step. But the ultimate goal is to retain the same amount of humidity that was in that small piece of cheese over the period of time you're going to store it in your fridge. So you want to make sure you're using uh, 
materials that are a full barrier to water and humidity. But at the same time, like we said, it's a living, breathing thing. There are organisms in there, so they need to, you know, get oxygen and they need to off-gas and release all the carbon um, monoxide that they, you know, are the byproducts. Uh, so the special materials are porous to gases and not porous to water. So that would be your cheese paper. You designed it just for that purpose. Yeah, so, you know, I didn't design anything. We uh, work with leading manufacturers in Europe, and we import a variety of different materials designed specifically for the purpose of packaging cheese. And in the world of cheese, there are so many variables in terms of styles and types that there isn't just one material that works perfectly well for every option. But um, our retail packages, our cheese storage bags and our cheese storage papers are the most generalized type of cheese packaging that, you know, work for the largest variety of cheeses. But when you're a cheese maker like Emmy and you have products that need to um, remain as they want them to taste through distribution, then you need more sophisticated materials to achieve that purpose. But for the home consumer, um, just using a material that's designed for the purpose that's, you know, like I said, porous to oxygen, but not porous to humidity will be leaps and bounds better than anything else you could use at home. So let's say we've got the Formaticum cheese papers at home. We, we buy that cheese in the supermarket. It's probably wrapped in plastic. We bring it home. What do we do next? Okay. So the first thing you want to do when you get home is you want to free the cheese from <laughs> that plastic coffin it's been packaged in. So you know, the, for the purpose of a grocery store, that, that plastic is a full barrier and it doesn't allow any oxygen exchange. And it's not really clear, you know, how long the cheese has been sitting in that plastic. So you want to take it home and you want to open it up and you want to let it air out a little bit. And this is a great opportunity to cut a piece off and, you know, start eating some cheese because that's why you bought it in the first place. And as you let it warm up and sit out, you can uh, cut a little piece and, and taste it, and then the rest of it you're going to want to wrap up in our paper and put back in your fridge. So you just wrap it like a gift? Yeah, just like a Christmas present. And do you – so what I'll do sometimes is I wrap it, and then I put it in a plastic container. That's a no-no. Um, that's unnecessary with our packaging materials. Okay. And one thing I worry about is cheese smells because I do love – cheese is on the stinkier side, but I worry that it, my entire fridge will smell like that cheese. Is that a, a realistic fear? Uh, it would be a realistic fear in, you know, parchment paper or something that is um, very porous, but our materials will contain the smell of the cheese within. So you don't have to fear if you have a really stinky wash dried cheese that your whole fridge is going to taste like or smell like foot. <laughs> okay, good to know. <laughs> so what if and I... another thing to think about too, you know, if you don't mind, when you get home from the store, let's say you have a large piece, you know, a piece of Gruyere. And generally when they're breaking down these large wheels, they, the cheesemonger's business is to equally divide the rind amongst all the pieces that they're going to send home because they pay for the rind and that's part of their cost. But the rind is not an edible piece of the cheese or, I mean, it is edible, but 
I wouldn't recommend eating it. It doesn't taste very good and the texture is not great, but that rind has, you know, was the original packaging for the cheese as it was aging. But now that the wheel is cut down, that rind really serves no purpose. And really it just introduces other bacteria that can grow on the surface of the cheese. And, you know, everyone's familiar with the cheese they forgot about left of that. <laughs> Up, but then they went to go check on it, and then they saw that there was mold growing all over the surface. Oftentimes, that mold comes from the rind. So when you get home, if you remove the rind, and then you just wrap up the the beautiful paste that's left, that that will last longer. See, that's another thing I've been doing. I've been keeping the rind on the cheese. I had no idea. Yeah, and I think there's like a romantic notion that it, I mean, it looks nice to have the rind on there, and we think that the cheesemonger sold it to us that way, so there's a reason to keep it, but it really doesn't serve any purpose anymore. Wait, so that's so funny. As well. I think that's what I do. I think I feel like, ooh, it looks more authentic if I leave the rind on it, you know? Definitely. It provides some context as to the type of cheese and maybe how it was made, but in terms of making sure that the remaining paste uh, lasts uh as long as possible, in the best condition possible, that rind serves no purpose and really can just introduce other molds that can grow on the surface. So, yeah, I recommend cutting that away and throwing it out. Okay, will do. Speaking of mold, Americans are really freaked out by mold. If you have cheese and there's a little mold on the cheese, do you have to throw out all the cheese? No, definitely not, because the starting point is, you know, cheese is mold, so uh, a little bit of you know, mold that grows on the surface can just be scraped away. Um, sometimes if there's a cheese that has lots of eyes or holes inside and you get some mold growing, you know, then the mold might uh, get into the depths of the paste and it might be a little harder to cut out. But generally, if you can just scrape it off or just cut away a little bit, then it shouldn't be a problem. Now, if you don't have formaticum papers handy, what can you store your cheese in? don't have proper cheese packaging, what's the best alternative? That's a great question. So our materials are a combination generally of two materials that um, work to allow the cheese to breathe and retain the humidity inside. So you can do the same thing at home, although it will require a little more attention because um, on a daily basis, you're still going to want to let it air out because it's not going to be fully porous. So you can wrap it in parchment paper, but then that can't be the only packaging because parchment paper is too porous and the cheese will dry out. So you could put it in parchment paper and then you could wrap it in plastic wrap or put it in a Ziploc bag or into like a Tupperware container. But once you put it into Tupperware or Ziploc bag or wrap it in plastic wrap, that becomes a full barrier. So you'll have to, um, you know, every other day, take that cheese out of your fridge and open it up and let it exchange the oxygen inside. So, you know, that's a great opportunity again to cut off a piece and have a little snack and all the while uh, taking care of your cheese and making sure that it's uh, storing properly. So cheese is like a pet practically or high maintenance uh, <laughs> boyfriend or girlfriend, right? Uh, you know, I would advocate buying less more <laughs> often uh, so it doesn't become this sort of uh, burden that you have to care for. You know, <laughs> cheese is something that you should, 
you know, if you buy from a cheesemonger, they are selling you cheese in the best condition. So you should really be buying what you're going to eat in the next few days and, you know, one or two sittings worth. And then you don't really have to worry about, you know, maintaining uh, life for the cheese and having feel like a burden, like a girlfriend or a boyfriend. <laughs> or throw a fondue party if you have too much cheese. I think that's what I'm yeah. going to do with all the cheese that I was gifted. Um, well, these are great suggestions because I know everyone is trying to cut down on food waste and there's nothing sadder than having that beautiful piece of cheese that you left in the fridge too long that you sadly have to dispose of. Um, Mark, before we let you go, I want to ask a few questions about your company. What you do is such a unique thing. How did you come to launch Formaticum? Uh, when I launched Formaticum in 2006, there was uh, no company in the U.S. that was selling cheese packaging. So I was working for a specialty food importer. And as we would sell products to cheese shops and grocery stores, the uh, employers, the owners would ask, you know, I, they would always say this, I know that we're not supposed to use plastic wrap, but I don't know what else we're supposed to use to wrap our cheese. And at the time, the company I was working for didn't sell anything. Um, so I had no good answer. So I went to Paris to learn about cheese and cheese shops. And when I was visiting all these stores, I saw that they had really interesting, specialized packaging, usually printed with their logo on it. And these were materials I had never seen before. So I added some time to my vacation and I went back to the stores and asked where they got the materials. And I went out to these factories and figured out how to start importing it to the U.S. And now you have this wonderful company. Your product is so distinctive. You have this black and white packaging. So I'm sure if any of you have gone to your favorite cheese shop or visited your favorite cheesemonger, you've seen these Formaticum papers. Um, Mark, one last question. I read that you uh, work with these community organizations that provide employment for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, how did all that come about and what do they do for you? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. So in starting my company, uh, I first started selling bulk products to cheese shops and um, to distributors and grocery stores. But then I found there was a need for the home consumer to, um, you know, have the proper materials to store their cheese. And in the effort to figure out how to repackage the bulk products into retail packs, I uh, discovered a little bit about um, the co-packing industry and, you know, there aren't always the best practices in that business. There's a lot of, uh, temporary workers used on a long-term basis and they don't get health insurance or other benefits that long-term employees would get. So I was introduced to the ARC foundation and throughout New York state, every county has an ARC and I work with them to, to the repackaging and they provide work for people with mental disabilities and handicaps and provide a safe place for them to go during the day and earn a wage. And it's been a great partnership for my company. And, you know, I think it costs a little bit more than, you know, the industry standard, but um, I feel better about it, and it's worked out really well for my company. Well, that's amazing. I'd never heard of that before. So you said every county in New York State has has an ARC? Yeah, and it's a place, you know, a community organization funded by the state and private donations that 
you know, provides a place for people with mental handicaps and disabilities to go and to, you know, in some cases they provide continuing education, but in, in a lot of places it provides, you know, work for them to do. And they could have a productive day and a productive life and, you know, live more in a normal rhythm of life of getting up and going to work every day. So, um, yeah, it was a great fit for us. Well, that's fantastic. I know we have a lot of New York-based makers and entrepreneurs out there, so I'm sure some of them will want to check that out. I know I want to. Um, Well, we like having nice people on Radio Cherry Bomb, so you fit the bill. Thank you so much, Mark. Um, We were just talking to Mark, who is the founder of Formaticum Cheese Papers. So not only are they practical, but um, they also support a really good cause. Um, So thanks for explaining that, Mark. I'm happy to know more about that. Um, And thanks for calling in today. It was fun talking to you. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's it for today's show. Thank you to our sponsor, Emmy, the maker of delicious traditional cheeses from Switzerland including the Kaltbach Cave-Aged Emmentaler, Gruyere, and Le Cremeau. Thank you to our engineer, Dave Tatashore, and to the band Tra La La for our theme song. Radio Cherry Bomb is a joint production of Heritage Radio Network and Cherry Bomb Magazine. We record our podcast each week in a shipping container in the back of Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I kid you not. We'd love it if you could leave a review of Radio Cherry Bomb on your favorite podcast platform including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and now Spotify. Let us know who you'd like to hear on a future episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. You're the bomb. I'll have what she's having. Radio Cherry Bomb is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com forward slash heritage.